Support for this program is provided by Chevron, the human energy company. This is Politico Energy. I'm Josh Siegel. It's been about two months since countries agreed to transition away from fossil fuels at the United Nations Climate Summit in Dubai. But so far, many aren't exactly living up to their pledges. They're expanding their fossil fuel portfolios or implying that parts of the deal don't apply to them. It's an early trend that's making the United Nations climate chief worried, and he's been delivering a strong message as of late. Now is no time for victory laps. It's time to get on with the job. Hiding behind loopholes in decision texts or dodging the hard work ahead through selective interpretation will be entirely self-defeating. So today we chat with Sarah Schoenhart from Politico's e News about the COP28 report card two months later. It's Monday, February 5th. UN Climate Chief Simon Steele delivered a message Friday from Baku, Azerbaijan, which is the country that will be hosting the next UN climate talks this November. It was quite a long speech. And interestingly, he started by imagining what the world would look like over the next three decades if countries actually deliver on their pledges to cut planet warming emissions. And when laid out in those terms, it felt like a really heavy lift. For example, He talks about renewable energy being abundant and affordable by the end of this decade and an end to the cycle of fossil fuel investment. But that's really all a wind up to his main point, which is nearly 200 countries landed an agreement to transition away from fossil fuels beginning this decade. And that was considered in many ways a historic agreement because it marked the first time the fossil fuels driving climate change were mentioned in one of these outcome agreements. But many countries and experts, and even Steele himself, have recognized that the deal was far from perfect. Some critics have pointed to parts of the text that say so-called transitional fuels, which many see as referring to natural gas, will be needed for the transition, or parts of the text that don't devote enough attention to the money that developing countries will need to shift their economies away from oil, gas, and coal. And Steele acknowledged that point too, calling for torrents, not trickles, of climate finance. Right. And of course, it's just been a short amount of time since COP28, but what are you seeing from countries around the world, some of the big ones as far as living up to the pledge they did make on fossil fuels. It seems like based on your reporting, it's maybe been somewhat of a mixed bag. Is that right? Yeah. So as you noted, it's it's really been a short time. So I think we'll have to continue to watch and see how countries respond. But we're already seeing indications that countries are planning to continue investing in developing their fossil fuel assets. India, for example, which has set very r- ambitious renewables targets, also says that it's planning to double coal production in order to meet growing demand. In December, we saw Saudi Arabia's energy minister sort of reframe the agreement as being a range of choices that that countries could select from rather than applying to all countries wholesale. And we've seen the UK pass legislation that really would maximize oil and gas production in the North Sea. You know, counter to that, we have seen moves like the move in the US recently 
to put a pause on new exports of liquefied natural gas. It's just a pause. So we'll see where it goes. And there's a lot of criticism as, you know, people who follow this issue are aware. Saudi Arabia sort of delayed plans to increase its oil capacity. But again, that's it's unclear whether that motivation really stems from expectations of lower demand or just the fact that there really is a glut of new oil production coming to the market in the years ahead. So things aren't looking like there's been an immediate shift in the way countries are thinking of their fossil fuel resources going forward. And then the UN climate chief also delivered a message to voters ahead of a consequential election season across the globe, really. So what did he say there? Yeah, one interesting thing to keep an eye on, I think, is what actually gets done in many of these major emitters that are holding elections this year. You know, nearly half of the global population or countries that comprise half of the global population will be voting. And some of these are major countries that have major importance to the climate trajectory of the future. So in some places like India, we're not expecting a major change of government, but many policies there might get put on hold as, you know, the government devotes attention to campaigning. Obviously, there's a very big election happening in the U.S. just days before the climate talks begin in Azerbaijan. So there's been recognition of how important politics are to, you know, efforts to to reduce climate change and, and to the negotiations going forward in the future. Many countries will need to start laying out their next round of climate targets starting next year. And so the elections this year will really matter to the shape that governments take in many of these countries and the way they think about their climate ambitions and their climate goals. After Seal's comment about not hiding behind loopholes, he makes somewhat of a plea to citizens where he says, Your voices demanding bolder climate actions now need to be heard clearly by your representatives. And I think he's really showing that this is a time for action. And as much as we need to hold our governments to account, we also need to do that through the decisions we make at the ballot box. Also, a UK court has thrown on a public order charge against youth climate activist Greta Thunberg. The Swedish native was detained by police in London last October after joining protesters to demonstrate against the Energy Intelligence Forum, an annual meeting of energy companies. The court said police attempted to impose unlawful conditions on the protest at which she was arrested. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our free newsletter at politico.com slash power switch. And subscribe to Politico Pro to read our morning energy newsletter. Some of the music in today's show was composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. And that's our show. I'm Josh Siegel, and we'll see you back tomorrow. Support for this program is provided by Chevron, who is innovating to help responsibly meet rising energy demand across their U.S. operations, like at their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com meeting demand.